Well, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Dean and Lucas started this message series last week that we're calling Love and Hate. Today is our second message in this series and the last message in this series. And we're talking about the things that God loves and the things that God hates. And I understand there was quite a little conflict last week over the Cats Grizz and who hates the cats. And how many of you are Cats fans in the room? All right. Yes, yes. Grizz fans. All right. Okay. (laughs) We always say no guilt, just love around here. So uh, that's okay. Uh, But anyway, evidently the conflict was so great that uh, I I don't know if there was a scuffle or something, but my headset got broken. So I'm I'm tethered today with a handheld microphone. So was that over the cat's grizz thing? I I don't know. (laughs) All right. So uh, we're talking about things that God loves, things that God hates, and and uh, uh, of course we're people of great passion, right? There's things that we love, things that we hate. I happen to be a lover of all things Apple. I love my iPhone. Do I have any iPhone lovers here? Yes, represent. Absolutely. I've got an iPhone. I've got an iPad. I've got a MacBook. I love my Apple products. And I I will tell you very strongly, I hate PCs. Um, Anybody with me? You hate... uh, How many of you have got the Samsung piece of junk thing that... um, Oh, don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. God don't like ugly. <laughs> and, uh, and and sports, you know, you guys know I'm a Seahawks fan. I'm pulling for my Hawks today against the Cards. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not going to hate on the Cardinals um, because I hate the Patriots. And uh, where's Tino? He was here earlier. All right. I, I don't, yeah. I, yeah, well, okay. So uh, we're going to be asking the question today, what does God hate? And I think I can say very, very confidently, God does hate the Patriots. And um, <laughs> cheaters never prosper. <laughs> what does God hate? Now, this is kind of, this is kind of hard for us because uh, last week, Dean and Lucas shared, and, and I was teaching in Great Falls, I shared as well, Uh, That God is love, right? So it's kind of hard for us to imagine that God hates anything because we know that God's nature, his character, the very essence of who God is, is love. So it it might be difficult for us to really wrap our minds around the idea that God hates something. And if you're a parent, and, and, and many of you are, uh, we teach our kids not to hate things, right? We, we teach our kids that we don't hate people. Uh, we teach our kids not to hate broccoli. You will try the broccoli. You will learn to love the broccoli. Um, I learned to tolerate broccoli. Um, my, my mom taught me not to hate beets. And uh, my mom was a great lover of beets. I, to this day, hate beets. Anybody with me? Be- beets were best shoved off the plate onto the floor where the dog could eat the beets, you know. Um, but we teach our kids not to hate something. So the question is, does God really hate something? Well, there's a very clear verse in the book of Proverbs that I want to take you to as we start this that describes what God hates, and it's up on the screen for you today. It's also in your notes. If you haven't picked up your notes, feel free to jump up and grab some. There's a few more over here, and I think there may be some back at the Welcome Center. But Proverbs 6 tells us what God hates, and and Proverbs 6 says there are six things 
that the Lord hates. No, seven things that he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. And when I was thinking about that list, I was thinking to myself, wow, I don't want to be on God's hate list. We've just come through Christmas, and we talk a lot about not being on Santa's naughty list. Well, more than not being on the naughty list, I don't want to be on God's hate list. And when it comes to relationships, we don't want to be on people's hate list either. And, and part of that is when you're in a significant relationship, you learn to do the things that your, your significant other loves, and you learn to avoid the things that he or she hates. For example, uh, I, I've spent 21 years trying to figure out what my wife loves and what she hates. And I've learned a few things in 21 years. I think it was in the early days of our marriage that we had, uh, I think we would probably both agree, we had the worst argument of, of our marriage. I think we were a year, maybe two years into our marriage when this took place. And it was one of those arguments, I'm sure you've probably had these kind of arguments too, that starts around 8 o'clock in the evening when everything's winding down and you're tired and you're a little grumpy, you're ready for bed, and the argument starts. And it just starts getting ramped up around midnight. Have you, have you had that argument? You know what I'm talking about? And, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And, and in this particular argument, I can remember around 2 o'clock in the morning, I was done. And we weren't done, but I was done. And so uh, I did what a lot of husbands do. I just decided I was going to leave. I was going to get the heck out of there. And so I walked out of the house, I slammed the door, and I just decided to take a lap around the block on foot. I didn't even get in my truck. I just walked around the block to cool off because I was really mad. And when I came home, I found Chris in, in our bedroom, and she was weeping uncontrollably, those, those sobs, you know, like little kids get. Just, I, I mean, she was so upset. And at that point, it wasn't even about whatever it was we were arguing about. I don't even remember what the argument was about anymore. But I, I remember so distinctly that she was devastated that I had left her, just completely wiped out. And so... Uh, I, I've always been deeply moved whenever I see my wife really hurting, and I think most husbands are like that. And 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 I was so upset that I had hurt her that badly. So uh, whatever the argument was about was was over for me at that point. I wanted to find out why walking out the door and walking around the block had hurt her so deeply. And I learned that night that Chris had a deep sense of abandonment, and when I left the house, uh, she felt as though our marriage was over. I just wanted to clear my head. But she felt completely rejected and abandoned. And as we began to talk through that, now in the middle of the night, I made a promise to her that I've never reneged on. I said, Chrissy, I will never do that again. When we're arguing, I will always stay with you. And, and so in the last 18, 19, 20 years, however long it's been, I've never again left the house and slammed the door. Now, I've hid in the closet at least once. Um, but I've never, and, and the reason why is because I don't want to do the things that hurt her. I don't want to do the things that she hates because when I do those things that she hates, it creates a distance between us. 
You know what I'm talking about? And if you've ever been in any kind of a relationship, parent, child, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, best friends, whatever relationship you have, you know that when you do the things that that person hates, it creates distance. And the same is true of our relationship with God. There are ways that we can create distance, and it has everything to do with what God hates. And so this morning, this leads us to our big idea. And if you're taking notes this morning, I'll, I'll have you jot this down. Uh, we're going we're gonna to move away from these Proverbs 6 lists, but I want to talk about one big thing, all right? One big thing today, and it's this. God hates the loneliness that we feel from the distance that we create. God hates the loneliness that we feel from the distance that we create. And there's lots of things that can make us feel distant from God. If you've ever lost somebody that's very close to you, somebody that you love, that's passed away, a lot of times you start to feel a real distance from God, especially if that person died very young or it was unexpected. There's a loss and you're wondering, where was God when this happened? You can feel distant from God. Or if you've gone through a season in your life, and I've, I've had seasons like this where you just don't have any close friends, and you're lonely on a human realm, and that translates into your relationship with God because you just feel like even God is a far a ways away. That was really good grammar, by the way. I, I hear people say this to me from time to time. They'll say, I keep serving God. I do all the right things. I never, I never waver right or left. I just, I just stay on. I'm, I'm a good person. I make good choices. But things never go my way. And where's God? And maybe you've felt that way from time to time. Um, other people sometimes can come to church. They get involved in a connection group. They're in community, and they're comparing themselves to others. It seems like everybody else is really connected to God, but you don't feel close to him. You feel distant. All these things can make us feel distant from God, but that is not a distance that you or I have created. It's just circumstances that make us feel like God is distant. I'm not talking about those things today. I'm talking about the loneliness that comes when we make choices that create distance between me and God. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. I want to talk about two things that we do that creates distance from God. You ready for this? Pastor Russ, I'm ready. Thank you. Okay. Here's number one. Number one is this. Our sin distances us from God. Our sin distances us from God. And God hates the loneliness that we feel because we have done things that have made us feel distant from God. Romans 3.23 is a great verse that if you've spent any time in church at all, this is familiar to you. Uh, And it says this. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Would you read that verse out loud with me? For all have sinned and fall short of of the glory of God. Now, why is that important? Because it's important for us to realize that we're all in the same boat together. We have all sinned. We've all created distance from God. There's nobody that's an exception. But what's really cool is that God hates that distance so much that he sent Jesus to bridge the gap. 
He sent Jesus to come and live a sinless, perfect life. We celebrated this at Christmas. We talked about it the last several weeks. Jesus came and he offered himself as the penalty for sin for all human beings so that we could be reconnected to God and we could bridge that distance. It's really Jesus that bridges that distance because God doesn't want us to be disconnected from him. But sin creates this distance. But that's why Jesus came. Last week, we read John 3.16 together at both of our campuses. Today, I want to read the very next verse in that chapter. And again, these are the words of Jesus. It says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is one of the things that I think we struggle with so often. When we sin... When we have gotten entrapped in sin and, and, and there's stuff that creates a distance, we start feeling condemnation. We start feeling the distance and we think, well, maybe I have offended God so badly that he's walked away from me. Maybe I am so bad, I'm the only human in the world. I've actually had people tell me this to my face. I, I feel like I'm the only human in the world that God hates. Something in me is so bad that God hates me. Listen, that's not the heart of God. God sent Jesus into the world not to condemn you. He sent Jesus to save you. That's the heart of God. But when we choose to sin, it creates distance. I want to illustrate it this way. Chris and I uh, have lived in the same home now for about seven years. And when we first moved to Bozeman, uh, as soon as we were able, we bought a house and uh, one of the things I love about the house is some of the landscaping that the previous owners did. And uh, one of my favorite things in our landscaping is an apple tree that's in our backyard. It's a red barren apple tree. Anybody else have a red barren apple tree? Anybody? They make the best apples for apple pie. And if you know me very well, you know I'm all about the pie, right? And so uh, we had this apple tree. We'd never had a fruit tree in our yard before, so I was pretty excited the first summer because uh, we had like just a smattering of little flowers, and I was so hoping it was going to produce fruit, and it did. The first summer, we had 11 apples, and I was overjoyed, and it was enough to make a pie, and I found out, man, this is great apple pie. So the next summer I was watching that tree and it bloomed. There were more blooms and then there were more apples. There was more apple pie. I put on a few pounds. It was awesome. And, uh, and then I think it was the third year, the fourth year we were in that house. We had a bumper crop of apples and I didn't know anything about apple trees. I was just letting it do its thing. And now I know, because I've watched some YouTube videos, I know that when the apple tree produces fruit, when they're just little, you've got to prune the fruit out or it will, it, the, the tree will just go wild. And, and, and I didn't know that I had to do that. So this tree just had all this fruit. And one of the main branches growing right up the center of the tree had so much fruit on it that the branch fell over and broke just from the weight of the apples. The branch was about this big around. And uh, because there was that huge wound in the tree, our tree got a disease. And the summer after that, that breakage, uh, the tree produced all kinds of apples. And I was really glad. I was afraid we were going to lose the tree. But we had all these apples. But there was a problem because there was a moth that infected that tree and began to lay its eggs in the tree. And now the apples have a larva that's growing in the apples. So that the, the tree will produce these beautiful red apples. Actually, they're kind of yellow with this 
this beautiful red blush, and I'll get all excited about pie, and I'll pick the apples, and I'll slice the apple, and there's a big rotten moth larva living in my apple. Sorry to gross you out. But this is an illustration of what sin does. It's an illustration of what sin does because it rots us from the inside out. And and you know what? You might look really great on the outside. You might be able to come to church every Sunday, participate in small group, have all the answers. You know, when when your group leader asks you a question, you know the answer is always Jesus. And... um, and you just, you just look really good, right? You, you just, you've got it all together. You can sing. You know all the words. You raise your hands. But you know on the inside there's nothing but moth larva growing in there. It's just yuck. That's what sin does. And no matter how good you look to everybody else, you know from experience that it creates this distance between you and God that makes you feel desperately lonely. Jesus talked about this when he was talking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were these, boy, they could do religion like, like nobody else that's really ever existed. I mean, they looked beautiful. All the, all the religious clothing and all the garb and the prayers and the bells and the smells. All You know, the Pharisees, they were just really good at religion. But Jesus could see to their hearts and knew that there was hatred and lying and, and manipulation and all kinds of sin. Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs in other words it's like those beautiful mausoleums that you'll see at a cemetery and they're painted and they're beautiful on the outside but you know what's inside that tomb right just rotting flesh that's what jesus said is happening to us when we look good on the outside but there's sin on the inside and that rottenness creates distance and let me tell you friends god hates the loneliness we feel because of that distance that sin creates here's what james says in his epistle towards the end of the new testament james says that when desire has conceived it gives birth to sin now this is a very interesting verse because what i what i'm aware of is that everything that my human flesh desires is consistent with what god hates you ever thought about that? My natural desire, my natural bent, the things that I want more than anything else on, on a human level are really pretty consistent with everything that God hates. And if I give that desire any kind of chance to germinate in my life, it gives birth to sin. James goes on and finishes his verse this way. He says, when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Everything dies when sin becomes fully grown in our lives. And today, if you feel that deep loneliness in in your spirit because your sin has put distance between you and God, I want you to know it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus offers you forgiveness and grace and a do-over, and he creates all things new. Those apples that get full of the moth larva, I have to throw them away. The difference between a rotten apple and a sinful person is that Jesus gives you a do-over and he changes you from the inside out. And that's good news. You can be reconnected to God. 
So our sin distances us from God. Here's number two if you're taking notes. The second thing that distances us from God is our complacency. Complacency. Now, complacency is completely different than sin. Sin is actively choosing behaviors that create distance between us and God. But complacency is just going with the flow, just taking what comes, not sticking to any kind of a plan or a path, but just letting your life happen to you instead of taking control of your life and choosing to stay connected to God. One of my favorite pastors, he's an author, pastor of one of the largest churches in the world, is Craig Groeschel, and and I'm a huge fan. One of his books is called The Christian Atheist, and the thesis of his book is here on your screen. Craig Groeschel says this, you believe in God, but you live your life as if he doesn't exist. It's a great description of complacency. We say we're Christians. We say we've been saved. We say that Jesus is the master of our life. And yet our choices and the way we live our life is is like he, he doesn't even exist. What we say we are and how we live our lives are two completely different things. Craig Rochelle calls that person a Christian atheist. Fascinating idea. The writer of the Proverbs, Solomon, Put it this way in Proverbs one thirty two. He said, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Now that's a harsh verse. That's a harsh verse. The complacency of fools will destroy them. Uh, so- Solomon says this. He, he, he's saying to us that, that uh, we're fools if we're living in complacency. And he's saying, we're going we're to die. There's nothing good ahead if we're just living on cruise control. Now, why would he say that? What's he describing? Well, he's, he's describing what many of us have experienced. You get connected to God. You attend a great church service or you experience a great Christian concert. You worship. You just get lost in the presence of God. You have some sort of a spiritual experience. But then instead of nurturing that connection that you have with God, you just let distractions pull you away from that close connection that you've experienced. You can't miss that game and the game that comes after the game and the game after that. Because that's really more important than than God. Or maybe your boss has given you a great opportunity. You've got a project that you've got to pursue. And, and so you find yourself going to work early and staying late. And you just let your, your career begin to crowd out spending quality time with God. That's called complacency when it comes to being connected to God. Or if you're a parent, you know how this works. You know, you've got a kid that's got to get to soccer practice and another kid that's got to get to ballet lessons and you feel like the human taxi cab and it's just kids, kids, kids all the time and and, and the distractions of even having a family and getting your kids connected to God can crowd out your personal time with God. It's easy for complacency to step in when we're just so busy. I remember this uh, very clearly. When I was a student, I can remember just... You know, I've, I've always loved God. I've always wanted to serve God with my whole life. But I can remember uh, the pressure of exams and finals and papers and all that kind of stuff. You know, it would be like the semester would start and I'm like, okay, God, I feel so connected to you. Don't go anywhere. 
I'll be back in May. That's complacency. That's complacency. What happens is that we feel close to God and then something distracts us and we run over to the distraction and leave God standing over there. What have we done? We've created distance. And that distance brings loneliness that God hates. God hates the distance that we feel because of the loneliness that we create. Now, you might be asking, well, what's the problem? I just don't get it. What's the problem with that? Well, the problem is when there's distance between us and God, all of a sudden things that used to be vile and sick to us all of a sudden don't, don't seem quite so bad to us. It's just really not that big of a deal. Because when we're really close to God, we have this keen sense of what's right and what's wrong and what pleases God and what's healthy and what's not healthy. And the more distance that we create with sin or complacency, the more that those vile and sick things just don't look so bad to us. And, and then we start using sugar-coated language. You know what I'm talking about? We say things like, well, I really messed up last night. Sugar-coated language. Because what you really did is you sat at your computer and looked at porn for three hours. Or we'll say, well, I'm just struggling with some anxiety right now. Sugar-coated language. The truth is you just don't trust God to meet your needs, and so you're going to kill yourself meeting your own needs. Or I hear this every once in a while. I'll hear somebody say, well, I'm, I'm just having trouble getting into God's Word. It's sugar-coated language. The truth is there's something else that's more important to you than reading this life-giving book. But we sugarcoat it instead of saying the truth. Or sometimes I'll hear somebody say something like, it's just a little flirting at work and it's just completely innocent. Sugar-coated. Because the truth is, You want her more than your wife, and you're spending way too much time with her. So we just sugarcoat it. Or sometimes somebody will say, it's my only vice, and it's socially acceptable, and it's recently been made legal, so it's okay. And the truth is, You're looking for peace by self-medicating when what you need is the Prince of Peace who will give you lasting peace for what's bothering you on the inside. And we sugarcoat what's going on instead of cultivating a close connection to God. And listen, God hates the distance and God hates the loneliness that that distance creates. I love this verse in the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul wrote this, Philippians 3.8. Take a look at this up on the screen. He says, yes, everything else is worthless. Turn to your neighbor and say worthless. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What's he saying? He's saying there is no distraction in this life. There is nothing that is worth disrupting this close connection that I have with Jesus. Nothing is, is more important. And then he finishes the verse this way. He says, for his sake and for this connection with Jesus, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Turn to your neighbor and say garbage. 
I'm counting it all as garbage so that I can gain Christ. And we've got to come to the place where we realize that all of that stuff, every one of those distractions is worthless and it's garbage. Because what God is after for you and for me is a close connection. That's all he wants. And that's what heals the loneliness that we feel. So I want to wrap up by asking this question, and and the band can go ahead and come up. I want to ask you this question. Do you ever feel distant from God? Do you ever feel distant from God? And if you do, I want, to, I, I want to encourage you by saying you're not alone. You're not alone. Let me read a verse from Psalm 10, written by David, who, who was described as a man after God's own heart. David wrote this. It might be surprising to you. He said, oh, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? That's written by this man that was so close to God, but he had seasons of his life when he felt really distant from him. I want you to think about one of Jesus' disciples, Peter. Peter, just before Jesus was crucified, had this conversation with Jesus, and Jesus warned him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, oh, no, Lord, I'll, I'll never do that. And then he did it. And the Bible tells a story. It's, it's one of the most stunning stories in in all of the bible says as soon as peter had denied jesus the third time jesus was just right over there and he turned and made eye contact with peter can you imagine what that must have felt like peter must have felt like garbage and he must have felt so distant from jesus his best friend his lord his teacher Do you feel distant from Jesus today? You're in pretty good company. In fact, even Jesus had a time when he felt abandoned by God, hanging on the cross, taking the sin of the world upon himself. Matthew 27 says that at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think it's really encouraging to us to know that even Jesus felt the distance that you and I sometimes feel. But here's what I want you to know today. Listen to me very carefully. This is what I want you to know. Even when we feel distant from God, God is not distant from us. We create this distance with our sin. We create this distance with our complacency. But God doesn't go anywhere. He still loves us, and there is no distance that you and I can create that he will not bridge. How do I know this? Why why would I say this? Romans chapter 8. Read this with me. I mean, not out loud. Just follow along. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Not death or life, not angels or demons, not our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, that's describing hell, 
Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is, crea- which is revealed to us in Christ Jesus. So if you feel distant from God today, friends, God's not far away. In fact, I know he is right here. And he's just waiting for you to reconnect with him. This is what I want you to do. Would you put your things aside? We're going to pray in just a moment. But just before we do, I want you to listen really carefully to the words of this song that Scott chose to end our service with today. It's just so beautiful. Let this sink deep into your spirit this morning. We're going to pray in just a moment, but just before we do, I want to ask you to do something. Uh, I I just want you to do something that's going to mean something, all right? And uh, sometimes you just have to take action if you really want your life to change. So I'm going to ask you to take a first step today in changing something. If you feel distant from God today because of sin or because of complacency, either one of those things, I'm going to pray for you. But I want you to do something. I want you to stand right where you are. 
I know that might be kind of uncomfortable and might be scary, but I, I want you to do something with your body as a, as a, a symbol that from now on, I'm going to make a change in my life. And I'm not going to let sin or complacency keep me distant from God anymore. So just right now, all over this room, if, if you're making a decision to bridge the gap and come back to God, whatever that means for you, would you stand right where you are? Come on, just stand right where you are. And then we're going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for promising us that there is nothing at all that can separate us from your love. Thank you for that promise. Jesus, thank you for promising us that because of your death on the cross, our sins can be completely washed clean. And today, many of us are standing today, Jesus, because we need a fresh washing. We need you just to scrub us clean. And today, Jesus, many of us are standing and saying, God, we're turning away from that sin that has created distance. And today we're asking you to forgive us, wash us clean, change us from the inside out. And Jesus, we want to be connected to you again today. So right now, right where we're standing, Jesus, come close to us. And, and, and just wrap your arms of love around us. Others of us today, Jesus, are standing because our complacency has, has just led us away from a close connection with you. We've been distracted. We've been lazy. We've been working too hard. Uh, whatever it is, Jesus, we've, we've just lost that close connection to you because of complacency. And today, Jesus, we're saying no more. No more. Starting today, we're going to maintain a close connection and we're going to make sure that we know right where you are every second of every day, we're going to be so close to you. And Jesus, I pray that you will reignite that flame of passion and love and, and closeness that we've experienced in the past. Today, Jesus, reignite that, 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 that flame of love. And Jesus, for those of us that are doubting today and just feeling like maybe we have gone too far, Jesus, I pray that you will come and meet us right here. Help us to feel you. Help us to sense you. Help us to know you. And we thank you, Jesus, for all that you're doing for us even now in this moment. Amen. Can I ask all of you to stand with me? Just before we close out today, we're going to worship the Lord in communion. And um, I wasn't planning on sharing this today, but I, I just felt in the first service that I needed to just say something about communion kind of out of the ordinary. Every once in a while, I have somebody that'll say to me uh, on a Sunday morning, Pastor Russ, I'm not going to, I'm not going to share in communion today, and I, I hope you won't think less of me, but I, I, I've, ha I've got this going on in my life, and it makes me feel like I'm not worthy of taking communion. And I want to just take you back one more time today to John 3.17 that says Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to save you and me. I shared this in first service, and then we celebrated in communion. And right after the service, 
a young woman came up to me with tears in her eyes, and she said, Russ, as we were taking communion, I had a picture of Jesus. And she said, I saw people in our church who felt like they were seated at the kids' table, and they didn't belong at the grown-ups' table. And she said, then I saw Jesus come and sit at the kids' table. Friends, we're all invited to the table today. We're all invited to the table. doesn't matter where you've been. Jesus loves you. And one of the beautiful things about communion is when Jesus broke the bread and passed the cup around to the disciples, he said, take and eat this. This is my body. When we celebrate communion, we are experiencing the presence of Jesus. So whether this is your church home or not, whether you feel worthy or not, Can I just invite you today, join us in this last moment of worship together as we celebrate communion. Take a piece of bread, take a cup, hang on to them. We'll all eat and drink together after we've been served. And while while our uh, servers are helping us out, uh, we'll sing this song one more time. Scott, will you lead us, please? Lord Jesus, we're holding in our hands this broken bread. And when you celebrated that last Passover with your disciples, you broke the bread and you gave it to them and said, take and eat this. This is my body that's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And today, Jesus, as we eat this bread, we are remembering that your body was broken so that we could be forgiven. We're remembering, Jesus, that you paid the price for sin so that we wouldn't have to pay the price. Jesus, We just want to say thank you and we worship you. We ask you to bless this bread with your presence as we eat it together. Let's eat. And this cup, Jesus, as you pass it to your disciples, you said, this is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. No more rules and regulations. No more guilt and shame. You made all things new. So we drink today with thankfulness and we ask you to bless this, Jesus, as we drink. Thank you, Lord. All right, I want to share some next steps with you. If you'll be seated and if you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Where do we go from here? Two things that relates to those two things that create distance. The first one The first next step is to repent of your sin. And that word repent is a key word. That's a key word. The word repent means to do a 180. Doesn't mean to feel bad. It doesn't mean to have remorse. It doesn't mean to grovel in self-pity and guilt. It means turn and go the other direction. So if sin has been creating distance between you and God, stop it. Okay? Do something different. Go in the other direction. Repent of your sin. And the second one, if complacency has been creating distance between you and God, I want to challenge you to stick to a plan. Stick to a plan. Last week, Dean and Lucas shared with you a few plans that you can implement in your life. The first one was a Bible reading plan. If you weren't with us, Please listen to that podcast. You'll get lots of good help from last week. But there's a Bible reading plan. In fact, we've, we've chosen a Bible reading plan that we're asking connectors to join us on. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, 
And we've got lots of people that can help you find that if you use a smartphone or a tablet. On version, it's called Word of God Speak Part 1. And we started on New Year's Day, so if you weren't here last week, you might be a couple days late. But I hope you'll join us on this Bible reading plan and stick to it as we read through this Bible reading plan together. If you don't use, if you don't want to use an app, Pam is putting it into the link every week. So this week's Bible reading is printed out in the link, and you could read it in, in an old school Bible if you want to do it that way. That would be cool. But stick to a plan. And if you don't want to read our plan, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Um, but stick to a Bible reading plan and, and, and stay on it. Read the Bible. Get into that. It's going to help you feel connected to God. Last week, we talked about a prayer plan. You need a plan. Stick to the plan. Uh, we also talked last week about a fasting plan. You could use that. And the last thing I want to challenge you with is this. Don't skip church. All right? That's a, an every week way that you can stay connected to God. Don't skip church. In fact, I want to say this. Next week, we're starting a new message series that I'm calling the Multiply Vision. Six weeks, I'm going to be sharing with you where we're going as a church. We've spent the last four or five months deeply spending time in prayer and study and, and, and searching the scriptures to figure out what is God calling us to do and be. Where are we going? I hope every connector will be here every single Sunday for the next six weeks. And I want to ask you to make a commitment to be here. And if you can't because of work or vacation or whatever, please listen to the podcast. You need to know what your part is in this vision of, of who Connect is becoming. So uh, that's part of sticking to the plan instead of being complacent. Uh, avoid the distractions. Sound like a good strategy? All right.